Amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, please open them up with me to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 34. Jeremiah chapter 34. I'm hopeful today that we'll be able to look at both chapters 34 and 35. I won't read each and every verse, but we'll take a look at a good number, a good portion of it. And let me just remind you that Jeremiah is a collection of prophecies that Jeremiah ministered to the nation of Judah during a time of spiritual decline. It was a time that they were in... Uh, idolatry. It was a time of disobedience unto God. And God is now sent through prophet Jeremiah, sending warning, sending uh, a word of judgment of what's to come. And Jeremiah's ministry spans a number of years. And during this time, the judgment begins to come. The nation of Babylon, as God's hand comes and begins to siege Jerusalem and begins to conquer them as a people. And so these prophecies are not all written in chronological order. That's important to note. Uh, as we study through, you'll see different kings mentioned, and it, it, our natural assumption is that everything would be chronologically in order, but it isn't. It's really just a collection of prophecies, and they are arranged in the way that Jeremiah the prophet was instructed to arrange them. And what we'll see here today, I believe, is chapter 34 and 35 arranged together for the purpose of showing something of a contrast between what was going on in the heart of God's people there in Judah and Jerusalem and what was going on in the heart of another people that really stood out to be something of an example and a contrast to what God's own people should have been doing but were not. And so uh, we'll see these things together. And My title today is simply A Question of Character. A Question of Character. God has called us to, to, to be men and women of spiritual integrity, calling us to live lives that would reflect the character of God. God is a God of His Word. God is a God who keeps covenant, a God who keeps His Word. God is a God who does things right, is true, He's holy, He's merciful, He's just, He's loving. And God calls us to walk as really ambassadors of Jesus Christ. And it requires a certain commitment, a certain character, a certain spiritual integrity to be fruitful in our Christian walk. And I'd like you to see that as we look at Jeremiah's day. I think you'll find some things that would speak to our hearts today as well. So the first thing that I want you to notice with me in verses 1 through 7 of chapter 34 is that this is a people that did not heed God's warning, unheeded warning. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord when Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and all his army, all the kingdoms of the earth under his dominion, and all the people fought against Jerusalem and all its cities, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Go and speak to Zedekiah, king of Judah, and tell him, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will give this city into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall burn it with fire. And you shall not escape from his hand, but surely be taken and delivered into his hand. Your eyes shall see the eyes of the king of Babylon. He shall speak with you face to face, and you shall go to Babylon. Yet hear the word of the Lord, O Zedekiah, king of Judah. Thus says the Lord concerning you, you shall not die by the sword, 
You shall die in peace as in the ceremonies of your fathers, the former kings who were before you. So they shall burn incense for you and lament for you, saying, Alas, Lord, for I have pronounced this the word, says the Lord. Then Jeremiah the prophet spoke all these words to Zedekiah, king of Judah, in Jerusalem. When the king of Babylon's army fought against Jerusalem and all the cities of Judah that were left, against Lachish and Ezekah, for only these fortified cities remained of the cities of Judah. Jeremiah is asked to bring a warning to the king Zedekiah. Babylon has already now laid siege around the city of Jerusalem. Zedekiah is hoping that somehow God will give a miracle, that Zedekiah will be able to defend off the Babylonians and save Jerusalem and reestablish the kingdom under his leadership and kingship. God has been speaking to him in numerous places, and now this prophecy comes and says, Zedekiah, this is a time of judgment. You are fighting in your own strength. You are trying to accomplish something in your own effort. This is your own vision. You need to surrender. I am getting ready to judge this people. And yet Zedekiah doesn't want to hear this message at all. You'll remember what we studied in prior weeks, that Jeremiah actually found himself in prison. Imprisoned because he brought this message. This is the message that put him in jail. When he came and told Zedekiah what he didn't want to hear. And you know, when you're king, I guess you can pretty much have people tell you what you want to hear. And if they don't tell you what you want to hear, you can punish them. And that's exactly what happened to Jeremiah. This is a people... You know, certainly personified in their king, Zedekiah, that no longer want to hear a word of correction. They no longer want to hear what God wants to say into their heart. And this is a prophecy that God brings, and it's something that they, are, they have absolutely no desire to listen to. Is it possible? Is it possible that we can become so distracted so caught up in our own ambition, our own plans, that not even the word of the Lord can get us off of our own pursuits. That even God's word, when given and delivered by God's prophet, it's, it's not only is it not listened to, but it's actually rejected because Zedekiah was so determined to pursue and have his own way. It is possible. Not only is it possible in Judah's time, it's possible in our time too. Listen, Christian, you need to keep your heart open to what the Holy Spirit would want to say to you. The Holy Spirit needs to have free and complete access to your heart and conscience at all times. Don't imagine that somehow by ignoring warnings or ignoring what God's Word would say to you that you can somehow continue in your pursuit and be blessed and prosper. No, we have to be able to allow God to correct us when we need it. I'll remind you of a passage that Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4. You don't need to turn to it, but here's what he says to Timothy in verse 2. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. 
Paul tells Timothy, Timothy, listen, you have this obligation as a minister to preach God's Word. And what is God's Word good for? It's good for convincing. It's good for rebuking, for exhorting, with all long-suffering, that is, patience and teaching. Because there's going to come a time when people will not want to hear it. I believe that we are living in some of that time today. I believe that there are people even today that are not interested in hearing the full counsel of God's Word. They would prefer a word that would tickle the ear, that which would affirm what they want to hear and want to believe God would say to them. They're not interested in a word that would come in and rebuke or correct or open their eyes to something that needs to be changed. And yet God's Word is purposed for all of these things. There are times when God's Word does encourage and does affirm and God's Word does you know, bless and minister those very things that we need and desire to hear. But there are also times when God has to speak a word of correction. And I want to be in a place, Lord help me, to be in a place where my heart will always be open, that the Holy Spirit will always have complete access to those things that you desire to speak to me. Are you seeking to please the Lord or are you looking for the Lord to bless your way and your plans? You know, we have people from time to time that come for counseling and they want to meet with pastors and and elders and they, they desire counsel and that's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with that. But unfortunately, after we give them our counsel and the only counsel that we have is the Word of God, well, if it's not what they wanted to hear, they no longer seek our counsel. Thank you very much for that counsel. I will not be calling you again because it's not what they had in mind. And in fact, oftentimes, and we all do this, I think we're all a little guilty of this, they even present their, their situation and they try to lead you into the counsel that they would like to hear. And they present things in such a way that the, you know this other person is so wonderful and so perfect. I know they're not a Christian, but oh, they're so, they're so interested in, in being a Christian. Maybe someday, don't you think I should go out with them? No, the Bible says not to be unequally yoked. You shouldn't be pursuing somebody that's not spiritually compatible with you. Well, thanks for your counsel, Pastor, but I don't really think that's of God. <laughs> or the other, the other side. Oh, Pastor, you have no idea. My spouse, oh, this is such an un, you know, abusive, terrible, horrible, you know, un, just unbearable situation. Don't you think I should just file for divorce? No. The Bible says that God hates divorce. There are times when God permits divorce, but there are times when we just, don't, we just want out. And they come and they want somebody to endorse their, their, what their heart is after. And when you don't tell them what they want to hear, they're not always pleased. So you can't come to the Lord and, and ask Him to tell you those things that only affirm your own way and your own wisdom. If all you want is your own way and your own wisdom, you don't need any counsel. Just go and do what you think is right and see how it works out for you. But if you want God's counsel, then you have to understand, higher are my ways than yours. Higher are my thoughts than yours. What God would speak into your heart has to be received as the final authority. And that you have to allow Him to shape your, your, your life and, and direct the steps. Zedekiah will have nothing to do with Jeremiah's word. Unheeded warnings. 
And this is, a, this is a matter of spiritual character. And really, it turns out, of course, to be exactly as Jeremiah prophesies. We want to look on now, starting in verse 8. We won't look at all of what's left, but all through what's verses 8 through 22, God begins to speak to them about a lack of spiritual integrity. Notice with me first in verses 8 through 11, we see a people now wanting to bargain with the Lord. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord after King Zedekiah had made a covenant with all the people who were at Jerusalem to proclaim liberty to them, that every man should set free his male and female slave, a Hebrew man or woman, that no one should keep a Jewish brother in bondage. Now when all the princes and all the people who had entered into the covenant heard that everyone should set free his male and female slaves, that no one should keep them in bondage anymore, they obeyed and let them go. Verse 11. But afterward, they changed their minds and made the male and female slaves return, whom they had set free and brought them into subjection as male and female slaves. What's happening well, what we, what we sense is going on here is that Zedekiah, who is now under siege of, from Babylon, he sees that his campaign is not going well. He has Jeremiah kind of whispering in his ear, this is not going to be good. The God has told me that you're, not, that you're, going, to, you're going to go eye to eye with the king of Babylon. He's going to conquer you and he's going to take you captive. Well, in a, in a step of desperation, Zedekiah takes a step, a good step, and calls the people to set free their Hebrew brethren which have been enslaved. God had in the law asked that they not enslave their Hebrew brethren, and those that ended up in slavery for any reason were to be freed every six years. In the seventh year, all slaves of, of Hebrew origin were to be set free. God didn't want the people enslaving one another. God wanted them to live as countrymen and, and brethren, to love one another respect one another. But they've been going on now for years and disobeying that. But all of a sudden, in a moment of spiritual kind of uh, bribery, if you will, uh, kind of a, a, to bargain with the Lord, hey, let's do this good work. And we see later in the chapter that they actually went into the house of God and they made a covenant with the Lord. And they made an animal sacrifice and said, this is what we're going to do. We're going to obey God's word. We're going to set our Hebrew slaves free. This was a good thing to do. It was the right thing to do. But we noticed that very quickly they changed their mind. What happened? Why did they decide to change their mind? We get a little glimpse of that later on in the chapter. Look with me in verse 21 through 22. Verse 21, it says, And I will give Zedekiah, king of Judah, and his princes, this is the Lord speaking, into the hand of their enemies, into the hand of those who seek their life, and into the hand of the king of Babylon's army, notice, which has gone back from you. For behold, I will command, says the Lord, and cause them to return to this city. They will fight against it and take it and burn it with fire, and I will make the cities of Judah a desolation without inhabitant. During this time of campaign against Jerusalem, we know through history that while Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon were laying siege at Jerusalem, the Egyptians attacked them and they had to retreat temporarily, stop on their siege from Jerusalem and go and conquer the Egyptian insurrection, which they did. Well, during this time, 
This is when they were trying to bargain with the Lord. Let's do something. Maybe the Lord will have mercy on us. And as soon as the pressure was off, as soon as it looked like the armies you know, were, were, were having to be distracted and they began to hope that Egypt would have victory, their ally, then they changed their mind. All of a sudden, this desire to obey God, all of a sudden, this desire to honor the Lord's Word, eh, no big deal. Get those slaves back. Let's go put things back to normal. We see the heart. We see what's going on in the integrity or the lack of it in the heart of His people. In the midst of crisis, they promised once the pressure was gone, their minds were changed. This happens, I, unfortunately, even in today's spiritual climate. How many times I have seen people come to church, broken here at the altar, praying, needing prayer. Their lives have, have come into crisis. Something going on in a relationship. Something going on with a loved one. Something going on with health. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. I encourage when crisis comes, we should turn to the Lord. We do need to run into the house of the Lord. That's a good thing. But how often I have seen, once the crisis passes, once the doctor's report comes back and things are okay, once that sense of fear and concern have kind of evaporated, then all of a sudden, the commitment... The brokenness, the fellowship is over. And there are many today that are no longer fellowshipping with us because their crisis has passed and now they've just gone back to a life that is not serving the Lord. And this is not a sign of spiritual integrity. Now, when, our, when, when things are difficult, we should come to the Lord. But it's not to try and somehow negotiate a deal with the Lord. It's the realization that I need the Lord in my life. Good times and bad. I need God. What was I thinking? What was I imagining that my life was, was doing fine? I see now how fragile I am and how easy my circumstances can change. I need a life that's built on something bigger, something deeper, stronger than circumstance. I need to build my life on the anchor of God and His Word and His promises. I encourage you to run to the Lord in crisis, but I encourage you to stay with the Lord after the crisis seemingly is over. And this is what's going on here. And it just reveals a lack of real spiritual commitment and integrity. He goes on to talk of a number of things here. Follow with me. We'll just look at a few more verses out of this chapter, verses 12 through 16. He continues to outline some of these integrity issues. Therefore the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I made a covenant with your fathers in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, saying, At the end of seven years, let every man set his Hebrew brother who has been sold to him, uh, set him free. And when he has served you six years, you shall let him go free from you. But your fathers did not obey me nor incline their ear. Listen, this is a command I gave you way back when you came out of Egypt hundreds of years ago. And yet you, you've slowly, gradually begun to disobey and you no longer incline your ear. Verse 15, Then you recently turned and did what was right in my sight, every man proclaiming liberty to his neighbor. And you made a covenant before me in the house which is called by my name. And then you turned around and profaned my name. And every one of you brought back his male and female slaves whom you had set at liberty at their pleasure and brought them back into subjection to be 
your male and female slaves. God simply bringing this case against them. And a, and a number of things stood out to me. One, just noticing that there's been now years of disobedience. What's happened in this culture? What's happened to this nation? A nation that was once built on God's word, God's principles, God's foundation. And yet, over time, they began to kind of migrate away from those things. And now, this command of God on how to treat one another, how to treat your brethren, it's a thing of the past. They no longer care about their brethren. They care only for themselves and their own interests and their own pursuits. And they will enslave their own countrymen to get there. And what God had commanded, what God had desired for them as a people, has become lost in the culture. Does that not sound a little bit similar to what we are even witnessing in our own time? Do we not see our own culture migrating away from what we know to be the Word of God, the truth of God, the values of God? And we find ourselves kind of moving into this new modern thinking. It's a thinking that does not include God. It's a thinking that does not include prayer. It's a thinking that, that wants to redefine everything that God has laid out from marriage to what's moral, what's correct, what's right, what's wrong. Are we not seeing this? And this is what happens in a culture that begins to move away. Years go by and you realize, as the nation of Israel did, you have completely forgotten that which I've given to you as a command to protect you, to bless you, to help you as a people. And now you're, you're finding the, the fruit of your own way. Oh, God, help us as a people. God, help us to hold on to those things that are of God. Lord, help us as a nation. Lord, help us as a church. Help me, Lord, as a person to not lose sight and to not slowly drift away into the culture. Everyone's doing it. What difference does it make? Oh, that's so old-fashioned. And yet, the people were actually heading towards their own disaster. God's Word had lost its relevance. And so we see much of that even in our own day. Not only had, had, they, been gone, had they gone now for years in disobedience, but we see that they completely broke their covenant with the Lord. He says in verse, verse 15, Now recently you turn. You've come into my house. You've made a covenant with me. You've made me a, a promise. You did it in my house. You called me to witness your covenant. It was the right thing to do. It was a good thing. And yet, you have completely profaned my name in that you have not kept your covenant. Breaking of covenants, not honoring their own word. I think today, again, of, I think of marriage vows that we so often call God to witness. Beloved, we are gathered here today in the sight of God and this company. Typically, the traditional way we start our introduction at a wedding, we've called God to witness. We're getting ready to make a covenant. We're getting ready to exchange vows. And we want God to be there to witness the serious, the blessing, the, the beauty of it. And yet, unfortunately, those covenants are so quickly lost. Now, there are reasons and times when, when divorce are appropriate and and permitted, but there are so much, church, I have to tell you, so much divorce today that is taking place simply because two people have changed their mind. 
simply because the covenant that was once made is not that meaningful to them, even though they made it not only to one another, but in the sight of God. And God is speaking to this nation and saying, you guys, your word means nothing. You lack even that spiritual integrity to keep promise. And you came into my house and you, you made this commitment and now it's, it's nothing to you. No fear of God, no integrity in their own word or promise. The, the final thing that I notice here in terms of their integrity is just a really a lack of care for their brethren. They think nothing of re-enslaving their own countrymen. Imagine being a slave and maybe for years you've been enslaved and with no hope of getting out and one day the king calls a proclamation and you're free only to discover that shortly after that they change their mind and back you go into slavery. What's going on in in this nation? What's going on with these people? Have they no concern one for another? Is there no just decency between people any longer. God, this was, these were God's people. These are, your, these, are, these are the children of God, and now you put them into slavery. You mistreat them. You care nothing for them. What's on your mind? Me. Myself. What I want. What I need. It works for me. A very self-centered culture. A very self-oriented people. And they think nothing of others. And others' needs, others' uh, priorities are not important to them. I remember this passage in Philippians. Again, I'll just quote it to you. You don't need to turn. Every time I read it, my own heart feels a twinge of conviction. I read it and I say, oh God, I need to do better in this area. Philippians 2 and verse 3. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests but also for the interests of others. And we know that passage goes on to say, have this mind which was also in Christ Jesus. Christ is our example. Are we not called to walk in love toward one another? Are we not called to esteem others more important? This is the calling for God's people. This is what God wanted in His nation. He wanted a peculiar people. He wanted a nation to stand out amidst the culture of the world. He wanted Israel to be a place where men treated one another with respect and love and a caring and a willingness to forgive and a willingness to come alongside and, and, and forgive dead and to set men free, not to keep them enslaved for their own profit, their own purpose. And God is looking for nothing less today in His church, in His house, amongst His people, that there would be a preferring one another in love, a willingness to set down your own agenda for the, for the interests of others. A self-sacrifice, a giving of yourself. We certainly don't see that in our culture, but we ought to see it in the house of the Lord. And this is what God is trying, this is why God is so upset with His people. You're acting and behaving just like everybody else, just like the world, just like all the other nations. And I'm sad to say, but sometimes what I see going on in the church is actually worse sometimes than what I see going on in the world. There's even a less tolerance amongst ourselves with ourselves. And God calls us to walk in love. 
This is part of what spiritual integrity is about. It's about allowing God to change me, allowing God to to speak to my heart and make me into what He desires me to be. And He wants me to be more like Jesus, not more like myself. Well, the rest of the chapter simply describes that God, for these reasons, He states His case, and now He is simply going to give them over into the hand of their enemies. What I'd like to do with the rest of our time is take a, a quick look at That's a portion from chapter 35. Because what we see here now is in direct contrast to this lack of character and integrity in God's people, God is going to hold up another people, a a people by the name of the Rechabites, and He's going to use them and their integrity to kind of shame what's going on in the heart and life of His own people. It's given to us to present a contrast. It's given to us to let God's people know that you are without excuse Because look, even here is a people that are walking in the commandments that they have even when you are not. Look with me and we'll see. I'm going to skip over some of these names. They're hard to pronounce, so just kind of scan with me. But starting there in verse 1 of chapter 35. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, saying, Go to the house of the Rechabites, speak to them, and bring them into the house of the Lord, into one of the chambers, and give them wine to drink. And so he goes and he obeys this command. That's what 3 and 4 is about. And then we pick up in verse 5. Then I set before the sons of the house of the Rechabites bowls full of wine and cups, and I said to them, drink wine. But they said, we will drink no wine. For Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, commanded us, saying, You shall drink no wine, you nor your sons forever. You shall not build a house, sow seed, plant a vineyard, nor have any of these. But all your days you shall dwell in tents, that you may live many days in the land where you are sojourners. Thus we have obeyed the voice of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, in all that he charged us. To drink no wine all our days, we, our wives, our sons, our daughters, nor to build ourselves houses to dwell in, nor do we have vineyard, field, or seed. But we have dwelt in tents and have obeyed and done according to all that Jonadab, our father, commanded us. Jeremiah brings this people under God's instruction in as a witness. He brings them into the uh, the house of God And he sets wine before them and says, now drink. And they said, no, because we've been commanded by our our ancestors not to drink. This is a people that lived something as nomads in the land. And even today in the nation of Israel, there are what they call the Bedouins. And these are a nomadic people. Even today, as you travel through Israel, you will see these Bedouins that are camped in pitched tents and they have sheep and they're, they're moving, ever moving across the land. The nation of Israel, you know, trying to help them, they, they started to build them shelters and homes, but the Bedouins wouldn't live in them. They had no desire to live in them. They stayed in their tents and they like moving. They like being mobile. They don't have any possessions. They just live off the land and they live something of, as, like a nomadic tribe. And this is the Rechabites. This is who they were. Uh, this is the way they lived their lives. And they'd lived this way for over 250 years. Their ancestor had given them this command, and God is saying, look, here's a people 
that live their whole lives in a disciplined way to follow the command of their great-great-great-great-grandfather, and yet you, my people, you won't obey my commands from the true and living God. Do you see the, the problem with what's going on in your heart? Here's a people that don't even have the same kind of motivation to obey, and yet they have a character, they have an integrity, and they walk in obedience. God is later, through Jeremiah in the end of the chapter, He pronounces a blessing on these Rechabites. God's going to bless them because of their faithfulness, because of their, their character, their integrity. God is looking for us to be real. God is looking for us to walk the talk. God is looking for spiritual character and spiritual integrity in the life of His people. And He, bring, and he holds these others up as a, an example, you know, lest His people say, well, you know, God's hand, commands are too harsh. God's ways are too hard. We tried. We couldn't do it. It's just too difficult. And God would say, listen, these folks can do it. Why can't you do it? They're doing it for a much lesser cause than what I've given to you, and yet you refuse to do it. It reminded me of a passage. Again, don't turn, but let me quote it to you. It reminded me of the Apostle Paul talking about our walk in, in faith and talking about it kind of in a, almost in the, in the context of a sporting event. And he talks about those athletes that compete. And he said in 1 Corinthians 9.25, he said, Everyone who competes for the prize is temperate or disciplined in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. The Apostle Paul saying, look, even, even competitive athletes know how to discipline and regiment their lives and, and follow a very strict a temperate uh, lifestyle in order to obtain a prize. And if you look today, I mean, some of the Olympic uh, athletes, I mean, it's an incredible discipline that they have. It takes years of preparation and, and years of, and, and a whole regiment of training and, and diet and lifestyle, and it's their prime focus for what? For a perishable medal for something that is just an earthly reward. Nothing wrong in that pursuit. I'm, I'm blessed by these athletes. I'm blessed by their discipline. I'm inspired by their, their ability. But I, I also have to recognize that I'm, I'm serving for a much more valuable crown than a gold medal, a silver medal, a bronze medal, just a chance to compete. I'm serving for an imperishable crown. Paul said that, that I've fought the fight. I've run the race. And there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. But not only for me, he said, but for all those who love his appearing. Paul talks of a day when we will stand before the Lord and all of our works, all that we did in our life for the Lord, will go through the test of fire. Not your soul, you're saved, you're going to heaven, but your works will be tested. And some, will, some the fire will completely consume their works. Wood, hay, stubble, nothing left. You're going to heaven, but you're going broke. <laughs> and then there are others that are going to have works that are going to be going to withstand the test of fire. These are going to be works that were done in the Lord. These are going to be those who, who, who gave of their heart to the Lord and lived for the Lord and served the Lord with a passion, with all that was in them. And they're going to have great reward. And the others, the Bible says, will suffer loss. What are you investing in? 
This nation of Israel, oh, they're pursuing their own interests, their own way, wanting God to bless them, wanting God to do for them, not able to obey the commands of the Lord, uncorrectable, refusing to walk in those things that God had given to them. And He shows them right before their eyes, look, here's a people that could do it, and yet you couldn't. And I have to challenge you today. I challenge you today because these passages bring challenge to us. What is the priority in your own life? What are you doing with your time, with your resources? I was listening to a a pastor on the radio this week, and uh, he shared, he was speaking to his congregation, and he'd done some study, and there was some research done on how much time the typical American family spends watching television. And uh, I don't remember, I didn't write down, I was driving, but it was, you know, an unbelievable amount of time, really quite a few hours that the TV is both on and then just watched by the hour in the home. Now, nothing wrong with television. I'm not preaching against TV. I watch the news. I enjoy a movie with my wife. I enjoy some entertainment. Nothing wrong with it. But there is a sense of priority. How much time am I going to spend there? This pastor went on to say, and I felt challenged myself. He said, you know, with the time that most of us spend on leisure, entertainment, self-pursuits, you'd be surprised what you might have been able to do for the Lord. You'd be surprised what kind of ministry you might have been available to and able to serve. You might be surprised at how much time you would be available for prayer, for the study of God's Word. Some of you could have learned a foreign language And that would have possibly been useful in missionary field. Some of you could have learned to play an instrument and been helpful in worship ministry. If the time that we spend on all our own things could just, even a portion of it, be redirected toward the Lord, you'd be surprised of what could happen in your life and the changes and the impact that you could be making. Instead, this pastor went on to point out, and I I couldn't help but but identify with some of this. Instead, those that that could and probably should be doing more, these are the very ones that complain the most about what God isn't doing in their life, about their disappointment with their life, their circumstance, about their frustration with everyone else around them, what isn't being done for them or for them. And I just need to challenge you this morning. Listen, whatever your hurts, whatever your disappointments, whatever your frustrations are, God is not the problem. God has treated you right. God has been merciful. God has been long-suffering. God is a loving God. The Bible says that He has given everything that we need pertaining to life and godliness. If you're not content today, if you're really feeling like something is desperately wrong, God is not the problem. There is something in your own heart that may need to be evaluated. And like the psalmist, Lord, search me and know me. 
and see if there is any hurtful way in me. And lead me in the way that is everlasting. God is not our problem, church. God is our solution. For many of us, it's your own stubbornness. It's your own stubbornness in your marriage that's causing trouble. It's unforgiveness and bitterness toward your family. It's your petty differences with people in and at the church. It's your selfishness, your laziness, your worldliness, your pride, your bad attitude. I can write this list because I see a little of myself in every one of them. I'm not mad at anybody today. But I'm challenged. I'm challenged at these Rechabites who so faithfully followed their ancestors' disciplines just to be identified with, with their people. And I'm challenged, oh God, my own life. I need to spend less time complaining, less time whining, less time blaming, and I need more time praying and pursuing after you. Spending time in my word, spending time in those things that you would set before me. I want to challenge you today. I want to challenge you to spiritual integrity. Become people of your word. Become people that would keep covenant with God. Now, thank the Lord, we, we, we serve a gracious God. We serve a merciful Lord. And I'm not here to try and, and beat you down under some legalistic guilt. But I am here to say what God's word seems to be saying clearly to me. Hey, maybe you need to raise your game. Maybe, maybe it's not just everybody else. Maybe it's me. Maybe it's my own focus. Maybe it's my own lack. Lord, change me. God, show me. Speak to my heart. Reveal these things to me. I want to I be transformed into the image of your Son. I want to be more like Jesus. I want my life to count. I want my life to be pleasing unto the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the challenge that we see here today. Lord, I want to be the first to acknowledge here this morning, like the Apostle Paul, I want to say, Lord, I don't claim to have laid hold of it yet. But I, I also, like the Apostle Paul, I want to forget what lies behind and I want to start pressing toward that mark of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I want to lay hold of that for which You laid hold of me. And Lord, I want to quit trying to manipulate You and quit trying to force Your hand and quit trying to pursue my own agenda and somehow get You to come along. Lord, I want to, I want to serve You. I want, to, I want to humble myself before You. And I want to he, heed Your counsel. I want to give place to the ministry of Your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray for myself. I pray for all those here whose hearts are touched in the same way. And just as we close, as our heads are bowed, if you remain in a spirit of prayer with me for one more moment, I do want to give an opportunity to those that are here today that may need to respond to the Lord. Today, if you're... If you're here and you don't have a relationship with God, what I mean by that is not 
Not whether you've been to church or whether you've been religious. or uh, I'm talking about a personal relationship. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you asked Him into your life? Have you asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins? Have you asked Him to come and fill you with His Spirit? That's a relationship that begins when, when we make that decision and choose to come to Him, confessing our sins and receiving His forgiveness by faith. I want to pray for you. If you've never done that and the Lord's speaking to your heart today, I'd love to pray with you. Or maybe you're here today and you need to come back to the Lord. Speaking to those who do not know Him, that, excuse me, that do know Him, but are certainly not walking with Him. And your life has drifted away from the Lord and God's calling you and saying, come back. Come back and rededicate your heart to me. Come back and let me fill you afresh and anew and begin to live your life in the Spirit and not in the flesh. I'd love to pray for you today too. And I guess finally, I'm going to just kind of lump everyone together today. If you're here today and, and the Lord has spoken to you in a, in a personal way, that He's put His finger on something in your heart today, and you need to get it right with Him. You just, God's just spoke to you. He just kind of nailed you. <laughs> I've had that experience where I felt like the pastor was reading my mail. God just hit your heart in a powerful way today. And you just want to respond. You just want to say, Lord, I need to be a man, a woman of spiritual integrity. And I recognize that you are putting your finger on areas in my heart that I need to yield today. And you want to make this the day that you're moving forward from those things. I want to pray for that heart today too. I'm not going to be calling anybody up. I'm not going to be embarrassing anybody. Our heads are bowed. It's between you and the Lord. But I want you to acknowledge this. If, that's God's, if God's speaking to you in any of those areas, would you... Simply raise your hand where you're seated. that I can see you and I will pray. God bless you. Quite a number of you. God bless you. God bless you. On the left as well, in front, in back. A number of us. 